appreciate that. If your Bibles are open to um, Matthew chapter 14, the account that we read with Brother Carson a moment ago is found in three of the four Gospels. Uh, you may want to turn and mark them if you'd like. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45 tells the story, as does John chapter 6 and verse 16 and the verses following that. Each, each of these accounts adds a little bit more to the backstory and helps us understand a little bit more about what is going on. Some years ago, I was preaching in Brooklyn, New York at the 6th Avenue Bible Baptist Church, uh, a church with a long history of uh, well over 150 years. And uh, my wife and I were staying in a little apartment underneath the pastor's home, and we would go up and, and share meals with the pastor and his family. And one day, as uh, we were in uh, the living room, I happened to notice that there was a painting on the wall. I have no idea who the artist was. Uh, I don't think it was somebody whose name perhaps that anybody here would recognize. Uh, but the painting was one of the most stunning uh, works of art that I'd ever seen. And I'm not a real art guy, uh, that type thing. But this one just grabbed my attention. It was, it was a, a depiction of the night of, of this event with the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And you could see the, the, the harried faces of the disciples of Christ sitting in that boat. You could see the fear. The, the artist captured it uh, immensely. And you saw Peter walking on the water towards Christ. And the, the waves were, were almost as tall as Peter was. You could almost feel the wind and taste the salt spray. It was, it was one of those incredible moments. And I just, I just stood there taking it in. And this artist really got, got the moment. Um, and every time I read this section of scripture, I go back to that painting and I think about it. Uh, and, and this morning, I want us to, to go there today. And I know it's somewhat familiar, but maybe we'll look at some of the backstory today and understand what was really going on that night on the Sea of Galilee a little bit better. The event in our text that we just read comes on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, that story took place uh, earlier that evening. Uh, the Bible said it was getting time for the people to go home. It was late in the day. Uh, they got five loaves and, and two fishes from a little lad, uh, uh, broke them out, and 5,000 men, besides women and children, were fed. They gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments. It was one of the most astounding miracles of the New Testament. It touched so many lives all at one time. And the disciples were right there and they were part of it. They were not just recipients of the miracle. They were not just eyewitnesses. They actually took part in it. They were taking pieces of bread and fish and breaking them off. And somehow, no matter how much they gave away, there was always more left in their hand to give out. And uh, they, got to, they got to see that. Again, they participated in this incredible miracle. Uh, the people were so enthralled by this miracle, those, those ones that were fed. John chapter 6 tells this about them. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. 
The spectacle of this miracle, these people said, this has got to be the Messiah. This is the one. This is the one we're waiting for. And Jesus realized these people intended to take him, whether he wanted it or not, and crown him as a king, pronounce him and announce him as a king. And uh, it wasn't time for that. He had to go to the cross first. When he comes the second time, he'll come with the crown and he will be king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. So he, he, these people were going to circumvent the plan of God. So Jesus, he went away into a mountain. So the disciples, we don't know, were they caught up in that frenzy uh, of everybody saying, this is the one, this is the moment. Um, but the disciples had something going on in their heart. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 52, if, you, if you've marked that place in your Bible, um, the Bible says um, in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, they, for they, his disciples, considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. So here are all these people, they're, they're fed, they're seeing the miracle. Here are the disciples, more than eyewitnesses, but participants in, in one of the most incredible works of God. The people are saying, this is the Messiah. And, and, and it's a huge crowd of people, 5,000 men. Let's make him a king. And the whole time, Peter and James and John and Thomas were standing there saying, is this over soon? Can, can we just get out of here? What, what's, what's the big deal? What's, what's wrong with these people? Everybody else is excited about what God did and they're missing it altogether. They're part of it, but they still missed it. And their hearts have become hardened. To them, it's just work. To them, it's just taking care of a bunch of hungry people. To them, it's just hearing the same thing that they heard the day before. And the Bible says that miracle of the loaves meant nothing to them for their heart was hardened. As a result of that, look at, at our text, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. The Bible says, and straightway, that means right then and there, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. Um, in, in, in spite of everything they saw, they've got this hardened heart. Jesus had to force them to take their next step. That's what the word constrained means. He had to force them to get into a ship. Fellas, I'll send everybody home, get into the ship. And apparently they didn't want to. Apparently they didn't see the point in it. Some of them were fishermen, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. They were all fishermen and they knew this is the wrong time of the day to set sail and go off across the lake. Uh, the Bible says that it was even time. Remember, it was drawing to the close of the day when they began feeding all of those people. We don't know how long it would take, but I'm going to guess at least an hour or more went by feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. I'm thinking maybe a couple hours. Um, even has come. It is dark. And they know you don't get into a ship after dark and set sail. Remember, this is in the day before radar. This is in the day before, you know, lights on board and stuff like that. They might have had a lantern, but that's not going to do an awful lot. And the Sea of Galilee is noted for windstorms that arise almost every evening. Some worse than others, and the one we read about, worse than most. Um, the disciples, they're not understanding it, so Jesus had to force them 
onto the ship. I've learned from experience that my heart is in a bad place when the Lord has to force me to follow his will. When I have that sensation, that feeling, well, I have to go. I have to do. Or I have to give. Something's wrong with me. Oftentimes we'll blame it on the pastor or the church or other people, but it always, it comes back, it, it's me. It's me. And, and uh, so here are these disciples that, again, just participated in a tremendous miracle, and now the Savior is forcing them to make, take the next step. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 8, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. The word stiff-necked was used often through the Old Testament and even in the New to describe God's people. It's generally not used to describe the unsaved. In Exodus, it was used over and over again about the children of Israel out in the wilderness. Second uh, Chronicles 30 wasn't written to the pagans, to the heathen. It wasn't written to Hollywood. It was written to God's people. Don't be stiff-necked. You know, where you're just all tensed up and, and, and you're, you're fighting against God and you're just, I know what you're saying. I don't care what you're saying. I, I'm not going to do that. And, and you can't make me. Don't be stiff-necked. But we get that way. And by the way, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it, it's, it's usually not one thing that does this. It's usually a slow process where we start moving away from God. Maybe we're not uh, reading the book the way that we should. Maybe we're not spending time in prayer the way that we should. Maybe we've allowed some sin in our life that we shouldn't. Maybe we're hanging with the wrong crowd. Evil communications corrupt good manners. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. A lot of little things start working on us to get us to that place where when we hear the word of God, we just stiffen up again. I'm so tired of hearing that. Can't he preach on something else? Why do they want us to do I'm so, and we find ourselves there. And believe it or not, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, all, the, all these guys are at that place. And you understand, God doesn't want us there. God doesn't want us to stay there. And so God was going to send a storm into their lives to help them understand that they had a problem in their heart. God knows exactly how to fix us. Sometimes it's a still small voice and sometimes it's a slap upside the head. He knows, he knows which one we need and when we need it. By the way, I'm not saying that every time you have a storm that you're, you're doing something wrong. Job had storms that I don't even comprehend and yet he was the most righteous man of his generation. There was none like him in all the earth. Uh, it wasn't Job had done something wrong and wouldn't listen to God. So God sent a storm to, to get his attention. So that's not always the case, but let's face it, sometimes it is. For the disciples, they're in a bad place and they don't know it. They don't know it. God doesn't want us there. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Chronicles 29 and verse 9. Uh, the people are getting ready to build a temple. Uh, David is still alive, but he's trying to amass all the materials and he puts it out to the people. We're going to build a temple, a house for the, the glory of the Lord. He said, and, and this house needs to be exceeding magnifical. The only time that word is used in the entire Bible, magnifical. This has got to be a, a magnificent place because it's for God. And the people just 
Man, that's all they needed. They just started bringing in. They had mountains. They stopped counting the value of things like iron and brass. Uh, they, They just had storehouses full of it. And the Bible says, then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly. David didn't raise taxes and say, you're going to give whether you like it or not. David wasn't standing up there browbeating them, saying, what is wrong with you? You're the people of God, and God's been good for you, and this is good to you, and, and, and this is God's house. And that, that wasn't that way. There was something in their hearts that said, man, we get to do something for God. Oh, I can't believe it. Man, you can have this. You can have that. Uh, the church that Trina and I got married in, uh, we, we were outgrowing the, the, the little building we were in. And so we were going to build a, an, another building next door that would have a gym, multi-purpose room, classrooms, uh, and, and some things like that. And it, it wasn't a big church, maybe 150 people, something like that. Um, and, and I don't know, back in the day, we're going back three decades or so, we were going to do a lot of the work ourselves. Our pastor was a former steel worker, so he could put up a, uh, the steel himself and so forth. Uh, but we need to raise a lot of money uh, because we didn't want to go into debt. And, and I watched in the service, I, I watched as ladies just, just walked up and took off their wedding rings and, and put it uh, there on the Lord's Supper table and said, here, sell this, sell the gold, sell the diamonds and use that to a building. And, and by the way, th- there was no pressure. There was no sales pitch. There was nothing like that. It's just God moved in that church and they built a building debt free. And it was, that's the way it was in David's side. And the, the, the people rejoiced. You know, when we're stiff-necked and our hearts gotten hard, we don't enjoy the things of God, do we? We don't enjoy serving God. We don't enjoy giving of our time, our talent, our treasure. That's where the disciples were. I have a feeling as they climbed into the boat that night, there was a bunch of grumbling. Oh, maybe not while Jesus was standing there. It might have just been James and John and Peter and Andrew looking at each other, rolling their eyes, going, what on earth? I see them as they're pushing off from shore and they think they're out of earshot thinking, he's a carpenter, what's he know about fishing? What's he know about the sea? Well, he knows everything about the sea. He made it. But isn't it amazing how complainy we get? Hard heart. So they're out there. It's the wrong time of day. And then all of a sudden came the storm. Came the storm. The Bible says in verse number 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary and in the fourth watch of the night, they had four watches in, in their, their day in the, the evening. The fourth watch started at 3 a.m. and ended at 6 a.m. So you understand, as a day was drawing to a close the day before, they're feeding the 5,000 and they're working and, and it's hot and they're tired and it's already been a long day uh, and so forth. And they're not enjoying any of it. The people are rejoicing. The people want to make Jesus king. The disciples just want to get out of there and go home. Now Jesus forces them into a boat. They get out there and sure enough, it was not a good idea. Look at the storm. And they battled that storm all night long because the wind was contrary to them. Their sails weren't working because they were supposed to go to the other side. The wind's blowing the wrong way. They're trying to row against all of this. The waves are pushing them back. They're physically exhausted. They're, they're lacking sleep. And it's, it's somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning and it's still going on. This is a rough night for those guys, isn't it? 
Uh, I, I can imagine if, if I was there with my namesake, Thomas, I, I know me. I know me. I would not have been on that ship that night saying, God's about to do something great. You know, the, the, the one that fed the 5,000, I'll bet he's going to do something. I, I can guarantee you that probably wouldn't be me. It might have been you. You're probably far more spiritual than I am. I have a feeling I'd be like, I told you so. What in the world's wrong with him? Isn't it amazing how we start questioning the Lord? There was another time when they were on the, the sea and Jesus was actually with them. The Bible says he was in the hinder or lower part of the ship. He was asleep and a similar storm came and they went down to him, woke him up and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Don't you even care about us? Isn't it amazing how quickly we turn on God when life turns on us? I, I can see me as Thomas and my namesake, the doubter, may be experiencing that. Remember, their hearts are hardened. Uh, they're, they're, they're not glorifying God. They're not trusting God. They're in a bad place spiritually. And this is where our story starts. In the midst of all of that storm and, and all of that, Jesus came walking on the sea in verse 25 walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they rejoiced saying, the Lord is here. We're safe. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Is that what it says? Not even close. Rich, you're supposed to be saying no real loud right about there. Uh, notice again, verse 26, Matthew 14, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. You know, when my heart's hardened, when our hearts are hardened, we get troubled at the presence of God because we know he's got something to say to us. And generally, we don't want to hear it. Generally, it's going to rub us the wrong way. Generally, when we're in a state like that, God's going to say, you need to make some changes. We're all good if somebody else has to make changes, but when it's us, we get troubled at his presence. But their troubling went beyond that. The Bible says they were troubled, saying it is a spirit. These guys that supposedly believed Jesus was the Messiah, these guys that heard the sermons, they heard the Sermon on the Mount long time ago, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, they had been with Christ for some time now. Uh, all of a sudden, they're saying, it's a ghost. Grown men. You know, the booger man in the closet, the monster under the bed. Their first thing is, it's a ghost, and they're crying out in fear. Grown men shrieking like little girls. Now, it, to give them credit, it's been a rough night, okay? And, and they're tired, they're exhausted. Uh, they don't think they're going to survive this storm. Nothing is working, and now they see this in front of them. Um, but straightway, Jesus didn't leave them like that. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't walk away? You realize he's coming to them in their storm, and, and they're, they're troubled at his presence. And they're, they're just saying it's a ghost. And, and there's no faith coming out of them. There's nothing but doubt and disbelief. He could have just walked away in disgust, but he didn't. Straightway, right then and there, he spoke to them so they could hear his voice. Be of good cheer. Be happy. You're okay. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Have you ever been in a storm and you felt that still small voice coming to you? And, and it wasn't audible. 
No, no light shone from heaven, but in your heart of hearts, you experienced that peace that passeth understanding. Maybe it was a scripture verse that came to mind and God just said, I know there's a storm, but I'm still your savior. God's never met a storm bigger than him. He's never met a giant taller than him. There's never been a city wall blocking the way that is beyond his power to knock it down. That's the God that says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. And so that night, this group of hard-hearted disciples that had to be forced to obey the Lord, that the Lord had to send a storm to get their, their attention, and they, they, they're in just total disbelief. He speaks to them, and all of a sudden, one man changes the course of the night. For the, of the disciples. I realize Christ is the one that's going to do the great work, but there was one man, a hard-hearted man, who said, I'm done living like this. I'm done missing out on the blessing of God. I, I'm, I'm done missing out on all that God's doing, and I'm supposed to be a part of this. I'm done living without the joy of the Lord. And by the way, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if you lose that joy, you lose your strength and you're powerless against the storms of life. There was one voice, it was Peter. We often make fun of Peter for how impetuous he was. He was always the first one to speak up. But I'm just going to say it uh, for everybody to hear. I want to be Peter. I want to be Peter like he was on that night. The Savior says, be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. He wasn't asking Jesus to come where he was. He said, I want you to take me where you are. I want to be Peter. Because see, Peter desired a closer walk with God than he ever had before. He, he just realized, I've gotten used to things. I, I'm taking things for granted. And everybody else wants to make him a king, and I just see him as a boss. And he has to force me to do what I'm supposed to do. I want that gone. I want to come to the place where my walk with God is fresher and stronger and closer than it has ever been. He's following the footsteps of Moses, who in Exodus chapter 33, remember Moses had been up on Mount Sinai with God 40 days and 40 nights. He heard the voice of God. He carried in his hands the stone tablets upon which God with his finger wrote the first written words of God to mankind. Moses has, has, has held his rod up and the plagues came down over Egypt. He, he's held the rod and the waters of the Red Sea parted. Moses knew God like very few people on earth did. And yet Moses in Exodus 33 said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Show me more of you than I've ever seen before. I don't want to get tired of God. I don't want to get used to God. I realize that God is bigger. Uh, his love is deeper and wider. His faithfulness is higher than the heavens. I'm never going to get all there is of God. So I want to know God more. And that was Peter. I'm tired of sitting here. I'm tired of being hard hearted. I'm tired of the doubt. I'm tired of no joy. I'm tired of being a robot going through the motions. I want to come where God is. I want to be Peter. David said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
Paul said in Philippians chapter three and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Do you understand that those people from the Bible that accomplished such great things for God, they all possess this desire. I want to be closer to God than I've ever been. I want to know God more than I've ever known him. I want to hear the voice of God. There's no safer place in a storm than right by the Savior's side. And it's up to you and I whether that's our reality or not. I want to be Peter. He desired a closer walk with God. Peter decided to live in faith rather than fear. You understand? They're all afraid that night, even the fishermen. They're, they're despairing. The, the wind's contrary to them. Uh, the Bible says they toiled and they're rowing. They're, they're physically exhausted. Uh, they're drenched through with the cold uh, uh, waters of the Sea of Galilee. It's darkness about them. They're, they're not able to discern where land is, uh, if they're even going in the right direction anymore. And now they've seen Jesus walking on the water and they let, they let fear take over. And they're not saying, it must be the Lord. Fear, boy, boy, boy does fear distort our vision. It distorts our understanding. It it, it distorts everything about us. Well, if if I serve God, I'm going to miss out. Yeah, you're going to miss out on all the tragedies and consequences of sin if you serve God. Well, I won't have any fun. Yeah, like alcoholism and addiction and prison and all that other stuff. Uh, Serving God's the best thing you'll ever have. It's the best thing that you'll ever do. Being a servant of the Lord is the greatest privilege in all the world. But fear keeps us back from that. And Peter said, I'm done with this. I'm done living in fear. Lord, bid me come under the water. Anybody else would have been saying, Lord, can you hurry up and get in the boat? I think that might have been me. But Peter had something bigger than that. He said, Lord, take me out there where you are. That's faith. I was reading this morning in the, in, uh, the book of Judges. I've, I've been here since 2.30 this morning. So if I fall asleep during the invitation, just turn the lights out. Uh, wake me up before church tonight. Uh, but I was reading in the book of Judges in chapter 7 when Gideon amassed an army. Um, and they're going to go against the Midianites. And, and they got this army of, uh, you know, uh, 32,000 soldiers. And they're going against an army that, that is, is uh, numbered like the grasshoppers and like the sand of the sea. Uh, it's the Midianites. And they're, ju- they're just everywhere you look on, on the, the battlefield where the armies are lining up. Uh, Gideon's already outnumbered. And God said, the people are too many for me. If I send you guys out, you'll think that you did it in your strength. And, and I'm not going to get the glory. So Gideon, I want you to go out and tell the men, if any of you are afraid, go home. You can go home. Now, these are all men. These are soldiers. They got the swords. They got their weapons. They're soldiers. They're dudes. And now Gideon says, if you're afraid, go home. Are you going to leave? Can, can you see Patrick Rayola saying, yeah, I'm afraid. I'm going to go home. I kind of see Patrick saying, I might be scared to death, but I'm not going to admit it in front of all my friends. Am I kind of right, Patrick? What's that? He, he, yeah, I had to keep awake somehow. No, he's, he's fine. 22,000 men went home. Now, I, I guess you got to admire them for admitting that they were afraid. But do you realize that when God brought the victory about and it was a miraculous victory, those 22,000 men missed it because they let fear govern them. 
The ones that got to see what God could do with that little 300 handful of 300 men who trusted in God, who followed a battle plan that didn't make a whole lot of sense, humanly speaking, but God was in it. And there was a victory, the likes of which Israel had never seen in that day and age. Fear holds us back from all of those things. Uh, I was reading um, in uh, 1 Samuel 17 when Goliath was coming out, a man nine and a half feet tall, we think, uh, a warrior from his, his youth, challenging the armies of Israel, defying the, 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 the God of Israel, saying, just send me out a man and we'll fight one-on-one. -on -one, and if he beats me, we'll be your servant. But if I beat him, we own you. And the Bible says that when he came out the very first time, uh, the, the scripture says this, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This went on for a month and a half, 40 days every morning and evening, Goliath came out. When David showed up one day after 40 days, Goliath did it again. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. But there was one boy. There's one boy that said, I'm gonna live by faith rather than fear. My God's bigger than this. And that man is defying the living God and God's gonna deal with him. I think that's what was going on in Peter on that boat saying, you know what, I'm just tired of being stuck in this place. I can let fear hold me back. I can let fear keep me down or I can take a step of faith. And I'm gonna follow the Lord in faith instead of holding back in fear. Paul wrote to Timothy, said, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I want to be, be Peter. Peter said, I want a closer walk with God. Peter said, I'm going to walk by faith and not by fear. I'm done with that. I want to be Peter. Peter dared to leave the safety of the ship. Look, folks, if the ship was an uncertain place during that storm, how much more uncertain <laughs> were the waves just stepping out there? I, okay, Jesus is walking on waters, but he's the son of God. He's God who became flesh. That, that's to be expected. No other human being has done that. And by the way, it wasn't wintertime. The lake wasn't frozen. Unless some skeptic wants to try to, to uh, wish away the miracle here. Um, do you understand that Peter's on that boat? The waves are ever That boat's rocking all over the place. Their boats weren't that big. You know, he wasn't on, on the Queen Victoria or, or, or anything like that. It was a, a little wooden ship, uh, probably not as big as this platform. And it's a storm that, that, that is beyond their ability. It's up and down in the swells. The waves are coming over. They probably had some of the guys bailing water out the whole night long. And all of a sudden, Peter, the, the Savior said, come. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee. And the Savior said, come. And all that, that, that moment, Peter's faith is put to the test. And our faith will always be tested. I can't imagine what it took to take that first step out of the boat. I, I can't even imagine. I imagine Thomas... And, and James and John and Andrew and all the rest of them kind of standing back just a little bit wondering, is he really going to do that? Is he really going to do that? But he stepped outside the safety of that ship because you'll never be more safe than you are in the center 
of the will of God for your life, no matter what the storm. You'll never be safer. And Peter took that, that step of faith. The Bible doesn't reveal necessarily what was going on in his heart, what thoughts were rushing through his mind, so I won't speculate on that. All I know is he was willing to trust what the Savior said, come, so if the Lord wants me there, I'll be fine. I have a New Year's resolution this year. If you've ever watched me go down a flight of stairs, I go down them like a little child. I'm not going to illustrate this morning. My leg's hurting just a little bit, but I go down one leg at a time. I'll kind of do the first step. I go down like this, down a flight of steps instead of step over step. I have a microprocessor, and you know, I got to turn around and figure out how to get back up here. I have a microprocessor, and my leg is smarter than I am. Uh, it's connected to my phone. I've got Bluetooth adjustments all over the place. I have seen the YouTube videos. I should be able to walk downstairs like any child can, foot over foot. I just haven't done it. Because, see, I tried early on, and I fell halfway down a flight of stairs at home. And you know, when you fall like that, there's a measure of fear gets in your mind. The, the people who make my, my, my uh, bionic knee, uh, they've talked to me about this and they keep saying, Tom, you need to learn to trust the knee. The knee reads my movement. It figures out what I'm doing. My knee is smart enough that if I will do it, it'll figure out I'm going downstairs. And the next time I go downstairs, that movement will register and my knee will know exactly how much tension I need, how much resistance I need. It'll have it all figured out. It's all pre-programmed. I just haven't been willing to trust the knee because I don't want to fall down, especially at church in front of you. My New Year's resolution, I'm going to learn to walk like a grown-up this year. The Bible doesn't tell us to trust the knee, but it does say trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Peter said, I'm tired of being where I am. I want, I want to go forward for God. I want to be Peter. Peter didn't look around to see if anybody else was coming with him because no one did. Nobody did. Do you realize that any one of the other guys could have said, Lord, can I come too? But they're all hanging back. They want to see if Peter's going to drown or not. They're not ready to trust the Lord with their life. It's, it's pretty cool how we're willing to trust God with other people's stuff, but not our own. Uh, Peter, Peter didn't look around. Jo, uh, John, you coming? He didn't look to his brother Andrew, who actually brought him to Christ in the first place. He said, hey, Andrew, come on, let's go. He didn't look around. All he looked was straight ahead. And the Savior said, come, and he went. And by the way, none of them ever never joined him. Not a one of them. The only human being who ever walked on water not the Lord Jesus Christ. He was all God and all man. The only person like us who ever walked on water was Peter. And we make fun of him because, yeah, he sank. He began to sink when he saw the storm, but he still walked on water before and after that moment. Peter didn't look around and say, well, if my friends go with me, I'll go. If my friends get excited about the Lord, then I will. If my friends are going to be right, then I will. He didn't care about that. He just said, I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to go where God wants me to go. I want to be what God wants me to be. Though no one join me, still I will follow. I want to be Peter.
Peter didn't let failure defeat him. The Bible says, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and fear and faith don't dwell together. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Jesus stood there and said, you had a chance, dude, you blew it. Tread water. Aren't you glad our God didn't like that? The Bible says, and immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Yeah, Peter was rebuked. He got his eyes off the Savior and on the storm. For just a moment, he began to sink. But Peter didn't let that failure ruin his night. He realized his answer was back to the Lord. Lord, save me. Lord, I I got my eyes off you. Lord, this is terrible. I, I need you more than I've ever needed you before. I love the fact that Anna sang that little song this morning. How many times must must he pick me up after all the times that I've let him down? And I'm sure I'm mangling the words to some extent. The Bible puts it this way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way though he fall. And a just man falleth seven times and riseth yet again. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't let Peter drown just because he had a struggle with his faith? Can I say this, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're all going to struggle from time to time. Because someone's struggles doesn't make them bad, it makes them human. What somebody needs when they're struggling is not you putting your foot in their head and just putting them under the water and saying, here, gurgle a little bit. What they need is your hand to help get them back up where they ought to be. Amen? Bible. I'm glad that God is not like a lot of people. And the Savior reached out to Peter, and we can say anything that we want, but you understand Peter walked back to that boat hand in hand with his Savior. I think Peter had a confidence in his life that was never there before. I think Peter had a joy that had been lost. Uh, The hardness of his heart had melted, and he was now the Lord's man. From that point on, he was just going to be, he, he saw God do something and he walked back in the boat. And here's what I want you to grab a hold of it. Because uh, Peter was willing to take that step of faith. He was willing to follow the Lord's leadership in his life. The other boys that hung back in the boat, not me. Oh, I'm not going to do that. that. That's foolhardy. That would be stupid. I'm, I, I can't do that. They saw what God did for Peter. And the Bible says Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, not Peter. They worshiped Jesus, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. Listen carefully. The miracle of the loaves didn't cure their hardened heart. The storm didn't cure their hardened heart. It took a believer like Peter who said, I'm tired living with a hardened heart. And they saw what God did for Peter and there was something melted inside of them and they're now all worshiping him. And that's what they should have been doing after the 5,000. Am I right? They'd have been doing that. Jesus wouldn't have had to force them to do a thing. The word constrain wouldn't have shown up. Peter's example led others to a closer walk with God. The Bible says that you and I are to provoke one another unto love and to good works. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? I want to be Peter. 
I want to be Peter. A new year's coming on us. I have no idea what it holds. I, I, was, I was realizing a few years ago, we were on the threshold of a new year, 2020. I was all excited. You asked Mrs. Clack. I, I had missions conference was ready months ahead of time. I, all the speakers were there. We had the theme. I knew how we were going to decorate. I knew the whole night. I mean, I, I was ready to go. And then in March, the whole world shut down. We had no idea. And I have no idea what 2024 holds. I don't know if it holds a storm. I don't know if it holds sunshine. But I know this much. Regardless of what it holds, I want to be a Peter who desires a closer walk with God than I've ever had before. That I'm willing to take the step of faith whether you do or not, whether my friends do or not. I just want to be there where Christ is. I want to be Peter. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this amazing account.